You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We are looking at 1 Corinthians. We've called this United for Gospel Advance. We don't believe the church is just to be some happy club where we all look around each other and go, oh, nice, there, there, it's good to have you with us. We believe we are united for Gospel Advance. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Father, as we come and look at your word, Lord, we believe, uh, you know, Paul wrote this letter to this church and was answering questions. And there's some challenges, challenges for the church, challenges for the people in it. And it was your wisdom. Lord, we want to come and hear from you today. We want our spiritual eyes to be open. and, And we pray that we'll understand some things. And we pray that we'll have the guts and the courage to obey and follow you. Lord, we ask this all for your glory. Amen. Great. So I'm going to read 10 verses we're going to be looking at today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6 to 16. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also we. So, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There's some quite challenging passages there, aren't there? We want to try and grapple with this scripture. We believe it is God's word and it is relevant for us today. The Corinthians loved wisdom. And I guess we love knowledge, really, don't we? I'll be honest, we had somebody around for coffee just on Thursday night and we were chatting away. And if you spend any time with me, I'm always throwing out facts about Hanwell or about Ealing. And after about 10 minutes, they said, I think I'm going to start checking these. (laughs) The longest row of terraced housing in the whole of London is here in Ealing. Yeah, someone's going to check that now while I'm preaching. Last English winner of Wimbledon came from Ealing. 
Yeah, people think, really? Yeah, yeah, fact-checking. We love wisdom, don't we? I think as a society, we're caught up with it. Often, people that are wise inspire us. Winston Churchill was considered a wise speaker. The former prime minister of the UK during World War II, he guided this nation. He said this, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. But the optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. You think, oh, God, he's quite a wise guy and suddenly thinks there's trouble. And he thinks, come on, I'm going to believe that there's an opportunity here. You think, oh, I wish I had that kind of wisdom. I wish I could think of those kind of things. The American businesswoman, queen of cosmetics, Esther Lauder, you may well have heard of her. She said, I never dreamed about success. I worked for it. Her wisdom was not this, oh, you're going to have some dream out there. And one day, you know, Del Boy and Rodney, one day we'll be millionaires. No, actually, there's something about, oh, we're going to live it. We're going to work it. We're going to make it happen. Uh, obviously, I preached this one at the 9.30. Everyone wanted to take a picture of this slide. Okay, half the room wanted to take a picture of this slide. If you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Margaret Thatcher, that was her thinking. I'm going to shape this country. I'm going to make things happen. We better move on quickly because politics always gets me in trouble. Shirley Chisholm, she was the first black woman elected to the US Congress. She said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. It's almost like, oh, if the establishment is not going to welcome me in because I'm a black woman and I want to come and shape something in our nation, I'm going to bring a folding chair. And many of us say, oh, great wisdom. Nelson Mandela. I'm sure we've all heard of the former president of South Africa. I have learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And so often there's this thing, isn't there? If we're really honest. We, we quite like something of this wisdom because we know how you think affects how you behave. And so these people, whether it's taking on fear, whether it's pressing an agenda or whether it's making good business, this sort of inner wisdom has helped. Now, what's quite interesting is with Paul, and obviously we're, we're sort of chopping the letter up, and ideally you want to sit and read the whole thing one time, is last week he was talking about the foolishness of the gospel. And actually, he's quite a wise guy, really, Paul. The danger is that we can write him off and we can think maybe he had a squint or a stutter, and some of the letters say he wasn't that impressive in person. And, but actually, Paul was a very wise guy. Why do I say that? Because he's still shaping us today. I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, scum of the earth. It basically means the undesirable, the worst kind of person. We take it from Paul. He wrote about that in this letter in chapter 4 and verse 13. I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, all things to all men. Basically, behave in a way that pleases everyone. It's impossible. That comes from Paul. And it's in chapter 9, verse 22. You may well have heard of the phrase, faith that moves mountain. It's confidence strong enough to achieve something very difficult. That comes from Paul in chapter 13 and verse 2. You may well have heard of the phrase, in the twinkling of an eye. 
Something that happens very quickly. That comes from Paul, chapter 15 and verse 52. So actually, I would like to suggest amongst all these people that have got some wisdom, he says quite a bit about wisdom. He uses the word 28 times in his letters, which are part of the New Testament. 15 of those occasions, over half, are used within this passage from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17 to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. He's trying to get them to get their heads around the wisdom of God. Now, please stick with me the whole way through because I'm going to suggest his first challenge to them and his first challenge to us is that our wisdom will have some limitations. He says to them, doesn't he, in uh, verse 6 and 7, it's limited by the time that you live in. Paul says you are limited by, by the rulers of the age, the place where you are. We'd all like to think we've gained knowledge, learning, intelligence and experience. I read this week that with every generation, the IQ is going up on average by nine points. I wish my parents were listening to this sermon today. I could say to my parents, I'm nine points brighter than you are. I wish my grandparents were still alive because I could say, I'm 18 points wiser than you. I guess the humbling thing is, my grandchildren are likely to look back to me and say, I'm 18 points wiser than you. You see, sometimes... We don't like to think of our knowledge being limited. We're quite happy to judge the past generation. Our grandparents are thinking, how on earth did you think like that? Why on earth were you smoking like that? Why did you have those kind of intolerances in your generation? But actually what he's saying is, you know, every generation we're limited. None of us know everything. He says, actually, your knowledge can be limited by your senses, verse 9. We discover so much, don't we, about when you see, when, when you smell, when you touch, when you feel, when you taste. We can discover so much. But actually what Paul is writing to them, and say so some things are beyond that. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined. He said that there are some things that are sort of beyond the five senses. Some things are beyond us. I guess why I've always found it quite interesting, if anyone says to me, do you know what, Pete, I am an atheist, there is no God. I think, how could you think, man, I, I know everything there is to know in this world. And even what I haven't seen, heard, read or thought about, there's nothing out there. I guess that's why, if I'm really honest, I think, surely you'd be agnostic. Surely you'd end up thinking, I'm not sure if there's a God. And there may be some here this morning, you think, I, I, I'm, honestly, I'm not too sure. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're open-minded enough to ask some questions. We run an alpha course on, on a Wednesday night at the hub and you would turn up. We'd love you to be there because it's people that say, I'd like to ask a question. I'd like to look into it. I'd like to find out. We can be so limited. And then he even uses this analogy in verse 11 that we are limited by access. Finally, you can know so much about another person. Yeah, I am pointing at my wife in the front row in case you suddenly think, awkward. We have been married for 32 years. I only met her actually 30 years ago, so I don't quite know how that happened. 
That is not true at all. I met her at university. I got to know her. I chased her for years. She wasn't interested, but we won't go over that story again. <laughs> Just put that hurt to one side. <laughs> the reality is, is that we can finish each other's sentences now. I find it scary sometimes because we go out the house at different times and we turn up an event and I think, man alive, we're, all, we're dressing the same. This is worrying. Green is a great colour. <laughs> But she doesn't actually know everything about me because only the spirit of Pete knows everything inside. And that's true about God. And what Paul uses this analogy and says, you know, only the spirit of God understands everything about God. And he's saying there is wisdom to be mine. Look, I think our human knowledge is remarkable, but not comprehensive. And what Paul is trying to say is you, you cannot know everything. If we're really honest, that probably needs to humble us. Yeah, I'm having a go at you already, those that have fact-checked me about Hanwell, you know, because the danger is we like to talk about facts or what we know or knowledge or we could look better, but something of Paul just says, maybe I need to come in humility before this God of wisdom. He describes it as wisdom not of this age. Now, if we try and understand what Paul was getting at, we think that was probably ignorance of leaders at the time. That's one way of understanding it. Obviously, he says, you guys are ignorant. Why are you ignorant? Because you've ended up crucifying Jesus. Well, who's he pointing the finger at? You could say he's pointing the finger at Pilate, because Pilate was the one who said, wasn't he? I wash my hands, crucify him. You could say that he's pointing the finger at Caesar. Because after all, I mean, if he was in charge of this empire and the Son of God came, why on earth didn't Caesar find out about it? You could say he's pointing the finger at the high priest, who actually was one. He said, come on, we're going to have to scheme about this. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's pointing the finger at a sort of sense of ignorance of who Jesus is. Andrew Wilson, in his commentary, says this, At the cross, two rulers and two wisdoms collided. Caesar's world wisdom of military power and pride meet Christ's divine wisdom of humility, service and sacrifice. And so what, what he's almost saying is, oh, yeah, the wisdom of this age. And, and I'll be honest, I'm sure if I ask some people, what do you think about Jesus or the gospel? They think, God, it doesn't make sense. I love London. But so often, if we're really honest, you, you're going to have to put somebody else down because you want to try and climb up. You know what I'm saying? I would like a promotion at work. Oh, no, I am the pastor here. That's a bad example. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You think, oh, I'd like to get on better. I'd like to do this. I'd like to go more. But it's Jesus we know washes the feet and cares for the poor and the marginalised, the broken and the hurt. It's just not quite wisdom of this age. We know that um, Jesus died, rose again. They wait around. Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes and Peter stands up and preaches. And the crowd, you know, they just sort of, golly, what on earth happened? He says, now fellow Israelites... This is Acts 3, verse 17. I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. It's almost like saying, God, you, you just did, your eyes weren't open. You just didn't understand who this Jesus was. In the interpretation commentary, Richard Hayes says, the human power wielders 
were so completely clueless about God's way of working, they actually crucified the Lord of glory. So what they're saying is, oh, look, you, you don't quite understand that this is a wisdom that is, is not of this age. Now, I know that there's also an element that some would say it wasn't just the physical people and what they did. And, and was there almost uh, demonic activity going on, principalities and powers that probably we in England just don't talk a lot about? You could argue that from 2 Corinthians. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And it's almost like it's not just something physical. It's also something spiritual. This is, we just don't quite see. I guess what I could clearly say is this. If you're in step with God you're likely to be out of step with this age. And that's what it's suddenly coming here. It's, it's like, oh, oh, golly, what kind of wisdom am I following? And he's saying, well, look, it's not the wisdom of this age. It is the wisdom of God. There is a sense that Paul is describing wisdom from of God, not of man. It's a mystery before the foundations of the earth, and God reveals it. Wow. William Barclay in his commentary says, all our discoveries are not so much what our minds have found out as what God has told us. And so it's not like, oh, come on, I've been a Christian. God, I got saved then. I've probably been a Christian for 46 years. Oh, this is what I've done. No, no, no. In his mercy, he revealed his truth to me. That's what we're understanding of something like this. Why do we get so excited about singing? Because God has been so gracious. This is true of every area of Christianity, isn't it? Why would I want to forgive you? Because he forgave me. And he's forgiven me so much. Why couldn't I extend forgiveness to you? This is not me boasting about, oh, I think I know. No, this is God revealing. Uh, I'm involved in a meetup on a... Thursday night, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we, we decided to read the whole letter. It's five chapters. Read it all out just on the first night. And then we've printed it out and, and we're saying, right, we're going to try and read it and not read any books and just say, God, reveal your wisdom to us. Because that's, that's what it's about. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says in Ephesians chapter 3, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages, ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's this sort of thing, oh, God, you are God. I ask you to reveal something to me. Like I, I'm not trying to check my brains out the door. I'm not saying, yeah, I do try and work diligently for you Sunday by Sunday. You know what I'm saying? I do try and sit down with the books and, and say, oh, God, how could I grapple with this? But we also want to say, God, would you humbly speak? Would we see your wisdom? You see, ultimately, I believe that the, the wisdom here is from the Spirit. 
Now, if we just dial back a little bit, uh, last year in October and November, we decided, oh, wouldn't it be good to do a series on the things of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit? And so we based that out of 1 Corinthians. And if you know anything about the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you think, oh, they write loads about things of the Spirit. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And actually, if I want to discover, in fact, we so enjoyed it, that's partly what led, God, we should study this letter more. Now, I would actually say uh, it wasn't just 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is about the Spirit. I think Paul writes loads about the Spirit here. In fact, you could even say there's more about the Spirit in this chapter. Just where we are, it tells us the Holy Spirit searches in verse 10 and 11. It says the Holy Spirit indwells in verse 12. It says the Holy Spirit teaches in verse 13. It says the Holy Spirit matures the believer in verses 14 to 16. We must be a people of the Spirit. They say that one of the oldest prayers of the church is come Holy Spirit. And I know that sometimes there can be this sort of dilemma, can't it? You know, oh, what kind of church is the Redeemer? Is it a spirit church or is it a word church? Oh, golly, the amount of quotes you put up. It's a word church, is it? No, no, no. I don't think it should be an either or. I don't think you see that in Scripture. I think what we're trying to say is it should be high word and high spirit. I don't want to be low word or low spirit. I want to be high of both. That surely is what we're understanding. Andrew Wilson, in his commentary, he gets two quotes. I like this one. Theology, when done properly is a spirit-led and spirit-guided exercise. We read the scriptures which the Spirit has inspired in the midst of the church who the Spirit has filled in search of the Christ whom the Spirit reveals. It's almost like, golly, we're just in the dark. I don't know about you. You, know, you get up first thing in the morning and it's still dark and I, think, I don't want to wake people in the house. So, Oh, God, I haven't got my phone on me. I've got no torch. I think there's 10 steps. I'll see if I can do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just completely in the dark. Oh, for goodness sake, just turn the light on. Let's see. And it's almost like spiritually that is something of what's going on here. We're in the dark. We need the Holy Spirit. Turn on the lights that I can see where I'm going, where I am walking. Warren Wiersbe, his commentary on 1 Corinthians is called Be Wise. What a joy it is to sit before the pages of the Bible and let the Holy Spirit teach us the deep things of God. And so Paul is writing to them and saying, Look, I want you to understand something of this wisdom. It is wisdom for life. We know that when Jesus was walking the earth and he was with his disciples, he said, hey, guys, it's in John 15, I, I'm not treating you like servants. I, I want you to be friends. I want you to understand, to know what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. Because we know, and Paul reminds us, the way you behave is shaped by the, what you believe. This wisdom is not a Sunday moment. It's not, oh, I've done church and I've got a few more facts. It's not, oh, I'm detached from life. This wisdom impacts your work and your relationships. This wisdom affects your activity and your ability to rest. 
It shapes how you think about yourself. It shapes how you think about others. It's wisdom from God that actually, how do I use my money? Oh, God, it's a gift day like that. The world's wisdom is let's have deep pockets and short hands. Keep it to yourself. What's God's wisdom? What's that look like? How do we find out what that's all about? We've got to be those that come and learn this wisdom of life. Christian maturity is not a plateau. It should be a process. You should, you should hopefully love God more at the end of this year than you did at the beginning. We should all be growing in some way. It's not about what we do, but it's actually, come on, this should make a difference. This wisdom from God to us. I want to just try and bring some conclusions out of this passage. Today, we hear many people. In fact, we had somebody come and visit us recently as a church. And they turn up and, you know, I don't think they've described themselves as a believer. But they just said to me after, oh, that was very spiritual. And we can be quite into that. Whereas I think actually Paul might say, that's very religious. People say, oh, no, 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 I'm not religious. It's funny, as soon as I tell people, you know, they always go to, look, I can't get out of it. Some of you guys can, you know. You're chatting to others, oh, what do you do for a job? You know, like, well, I work for the largest agency in the world that cares for the poor. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to bottle it. I'm telling you I work for a church. And there's suddenly this whole thing, actually, what is it to say? I, I follow Jesus, and they, they say, oh, I'm not religious, Pete. And I would say, but I'm not too. Whereas I think so often people are because they want to try and connect with God by what they think, say, or do. And actually, Paul is saying you connect by God by a revelation of the Spirit. He's writing to a church and saying, look, I want you to be mature. You need to know something of the Spirit. Now, you're very welcome if it's your first time, and in which case I could preach a whole sermon that I preached about three weeks ago. If you were here three weeks ago, you think, are you going back there, Pete? I am. Because the danger with this is we just take the few verses out and think, what's this wisdom that he's talking about? Well, he's already told us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 to 25, says this, Jews demand signs. Come on, show me the power. Greeks look for wisdom. Don't care how you live. I just want to know your ideas. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So there's this beautiful thing. Actually, Paul says, hey, I want you to know something about the wisdom of God. And what's the wisdom of God? is that his son would die on a cross. I don't know how many of you have seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if it was a pantomime, you know, I'd say Edmund, and you go, boo. This was a boy that, you know, took Turkish delight off the, the wicked white witch, sold his soul to the devil. 
And then basically Aslan, the lion, has got to come and rescue him. So Aslan says, well, actually, there needs to be death. I'll die in his place. And everyone that was hoping Aslan would save Narnia were, were weeping as he allowed himself to be tied and laid upon the stone table. No! And they pull out the knife and they kill him. I don't know how this gets away as being a child's story, to be totally honest. Maybe I'm just making it worse than it's a blood flows. <laughs> And there's suddenly this thing, isn't it? It all changes when Aslan comes back to life. They thought it was their moment of triumph, but actually they'd not understood the story, which is straight from the Bible, isn't it? Warren Worsby says this, Satan thought that Calvary was God's great defeat, but it turned out to be God's greatest victory and Satan's defeat. Paul says the same thing when he writes to the church, in Colossae, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so it's almost like Paul comes and says, hey, you want wisdom? I know you guys like wisdom. And he's writing to Eagling today, isn't it? Come on, we want wisdom. He's saying, great, the wisdom is this. It's the power of the cross. Never go beyond the cross. And actually, if we were just to scan back and, and look at the Bible, we'd say, wow, what Jesus did by his death and his resurrection is mind-blowing. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that we were slaves to sin. I don't want to keep doing this. Officer, I couldn't help speeding. It wasn't my fault. You know what I'm saying? We're slaves to sin. I don't want to keep being bitter. I don't want to be full of greed. I don't want to be angry. Why do I keep getting angry? I'm a slave to sin. And the Bible says that because of the cross, you're set free. Wow. Surely that's the wisdom of God, isn't it? He says here, he says, actually, you were falling. You couldn't stand. You're in trouble. That's how the Bible describes us. But actually, because of the gospel, you can stand. I don't stand this morning because of what I've done. I stand because of what he's done. That is the power of the cross. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, you are perishing. So true, isn't it? I just slip in now. I ran a half marathon on Friday. Yeah, slowest one I've done for years. Why is it like that? You know what I'm saying? Peak of my condition. <laughs> Not quite sure what the joke was on that one, Jess. But the reality is that we all know the older you get, the slower you run. We're perishing. But actually the gospel says, but you can be saved. Oh, wow. This is amazing, isn't it? We were in conflict. I, I was at war with other people. I was falling out with other people. I could fall out with anyone. But actually now the Bible says that God comes and gives you peace because of the cross. That is the wisdom of the cross. It literally says in Romans 6, you were dead in your sins. But actually now you're alive. Come on, pinch yourself. You're alive. It hurts. You're alive spiritually is what it says. We know, don't we, from those three stories in Luke 15. Jesus talks, ah, oh, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost. We were lost. Oh, God, it's a horrible experience, isn't it, being lost? 
Nick and I were on holiday once and I said, oh, let's just go for a walk like this. Anyway, we crossed over some line. I'm not quite sure where it was. We ended up in a different country and there were people there with guns. She said, do you know where you are? I said, of course I do. <laughs> What's the way home? Ah, oh, just follow me. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit they're lost, do they? We are lost. But spiritually, we're found. That is the cross. It says we were an alien. We had no rights. We could talk about like being a refugee. And you think, golly, but... And now you're a citizen. That's the picture of the cross. You, you were an orphan. There was nobody there caring and loving and looking after you. You felt abandoned and isolated. You're desperately trying to fight for yourself. And the Bible says the cross now makes you adopted as a child of God. You are welcomed home. Yes, this is your name. You're part of the family. There's so many pictures, aren't there? You, you, you were blind. You could not see. And actually, the Bible says because of the cross, you can now see. This is why it's excited about the wisdom of God. You were a hostage. You have to be very careful. I think, oh, no, it's a tragedy, isn't it? People have been taken and they're held hostage against their will. Can't see family, can't see friends. You don't know how it's all going to end. You are a hostage spiritually. And because of the cross, you've been ransomed. I will pay for that one. How much are you going to pay? My life. I mean, what a value, what a price. And so Paul is writing to them, and he's going to challenge us on some really tough conversations. He says, come in humility and see the God's wisdom, which was shown to you through the cross. Amen.